Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, joined here by my main man, Scott the Status Assassin. Scott the Leaper, what's up? Yeah, I'd just like to let everybody know that Trey Young has a new shoe coming out in 2021 with Adidas. That is good news. So, pay, pay me some money, Adidas. That <laughs> The one he had last year, some people hated the high top. Look, I actually didn't hate it. I don't even remember what it was. Yeah. It's like one of those sock type shoes, but it was like, an old school stovetop sneaker. It wasn't terrible. I didn't hate it. It was, it was different for, for sure. Um, it might not even been his model. It might not even been his signature model. It's just one he wore all the time. Anything's better than the, the most recent, I don't know, are they a easy like 7.0 or something? Oh gosh. Like, I, they I just look like Marshmallow those. Man feet. That's, Do they really? It's you're wearing so tires on your feet? <laughs> well, if you can't tell, we're here to talk about the Atlanta Hawks who, this is being recorded on Wednesday, play a basketball game in two days after not having played for almost exactly nine months. That is insane to think about. So uh, if you hear noise in the background, uh, I am on baby duty right now. So uh, there's a little bit more background noise in the house. And being that we have an intern that doesn't make a lot of money, he's not good enough to edit it out. So we're going to get Billy to do his best job. But well, you can expect Billy to do what Billy does. So I wanted to jump right into this discussion about the Hawks. We've already talked at length about the Hawks' offseason moves, their draft, et cetera, et cetera. And the general universal consensus is the Hawks had a good offseason. They got better. So, and speaking about the improvement the Hawks made, I wanted to ask you, Scott, in which ways do you feel the Hawks improved? Specifically, which areas do you feel they improved in? I mean, really, big picture, the main area is just talent. They got better basketball players, and they got enough basketball players to fill out an entire NBA roster of basketball players. Which was up for debate at the time because starting free agency, I think we had eight players under contract, either seven or eight players under contract. And if you look at last year, most games you probably had about six available players that were actual Mm -hmm. NBA players because you had a revolving door at the bottom end of the roster Mm -hmm. for a lot of moves here and there and you also had guys like Vince Carter who retired and Evan Turner who retired and guys like Damian Jones who's not really an NBA player right so wait rewind did Evan Turner really retire yeah he's coaching for the Celtics I did not know that oh god that puts in perspective so much of what was wrong with last year the fact that you had two players that retired that were in your rotation Two and one and not like Tim Duncan retired, like guys that you played in your rotation. Well, sort of Evan Turner played in your rotation. Vince Carter did play in your rotation all year long. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Um. But, so yeah. So yeah. To answer the the question though, right? It's they just got better basketball players, and from when the last time they actually played games, they added some players that will contribute offensively and some players that will contribute defensively. Mm-hmm. Right. You have uh, Bogdanovich and Gallinari, who are very much offensive guys. You have Chris yeah. Hunt and Clint Capella, who is effectively an addition, that are mm-hmm. more defensive guys. So mm-hmm. basically, uh, the team got better. Yeah. And I would say that if I had to focus on one specific area, the, the word is shooting for me. You know, Tony Snell, who I know is at the very bottom of those acquisitions list, he's still a good shooter. He shot 40% three or four years in a row now on decent volume and like three or four shots a game. 
You had Gallinari, who's a very, very good offensive power forward, one of the probably four or five best offensive power forwards in basketball. You added, you added Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's just a really good shooting guard, uh, probably never be an all-star, but we talked about this. And they even said this on Peachtree Hoops, one of their articles. He's the player that you're hoping Kevin Herter becomes in two or three years. And he is a good shooter. And I think the, the other thing is that not only can he shoot, him and Gallinari can both score. Gallinari can post up. He can hit mid-range. Bogdanovich can handle the ball. He can get the goal. Like, they are truly scorers and not just shooters, which I think is also a good distinction to have. But that, that was the first thing that popped out to me was just that you have more shooting in the Hawks famously were the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA last year. And I just wanted to throw this out there, Scott. Give me, tell me if you agree with the statement. Trey Young is a top five offensive player in the NBA. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, yes, at least for the regular season. Um, yeah. We haven't yeah. seen yeah. him play in the playoffs. And so some of your more veteran guys take it a little easy in, in the regular season. So, it, you know, but in, in general, it, you know, he's probably squeaking into the top five or at least close, depending on your criteria. And the tier that I'm talking about, and tell me if I'm missing anybody here, people like Luka Doncic, uh, James Harden, Last year, you could argue Bradley Beal, although he wasn't very efficient, but just pure volume scoring. I don't know if I'd put him in that category because he hasn't done it for long enough. Damian Lillard. I, I wouldn't because he doesn't have the efficiency. They, yeah. You know, the guys you're listing, Luka, Harden, Lillard. And LeBron. LeBron. And Trey Young, offensively, mm-hmm. it's just fine in that group because those are yeah. guys that have crazy workloads and crazy efficiency. Guys that you can just have them – with the ball all the time and they will create and make their own shots and create shots for others. And when they're healthy, you could also add guys like Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, but obviously they did not play very much last year. So. Right. Right. And, and for this regular season, you know, there's a decent chance that Trey Young is as good or, or better of a regular season offensive player than those guys who are some of them older, right. Mm -hmm. Coming off injury, right. Steph and, and KD. So. Yeah, I would say at least top five-ish offensively. Yes, but I would say, if nothing else, even if you put him at seven or eight, there is a tier of, like, top-shelf offensive players based on efficiency, production, creation, and Trey's in that tier. Where if you want to put him at seven instead of five, that's fine. He's in that tier. And here's why I bring this up. Every one of those players you just named was on a team other than Steph Curry. You know, we had the freaky year. But every one of them in a normal year is on a playoff team. So the fact that you had one of the elite offensive engines in the NBA and you won 30, what, 30% of your games last year tells you how bad the roster was. Because uh, for any other player that is essentially a top 10 offensive player, their teams are at least competitive. You know, again, I said Bradley Bill, you know, he had the numbers, but he wasn't very efficient. So for all those other players that are truly top tier offensive players, they're all on teams that are, competing for the playoffs or like championship contenders. So I bring up, I say all that to say that last year, the Hawks roster was bad. Let, let me just, let me just share with you what we came into the season with as our starting lineup, Alex Lynn at center, John Collins at power forward, DeAndre Hunter at small forge, Kevin Herter at shooting guard, Trey Young at point guard. Okay. Alex Lynn was a disaster last year. He also got hurt, right? He did get hurt. When he came back, he was terrible. He regressed back to his Phoenix days. He was terrible. And John Collins missed 25 games off the bat. John Collins missed 25 games. 
DeAndre Hunter was a rookie, and Kevin Herter was Kevin Herter. He's a second-year player that probably shouldn't be starting any team that wants to compete for the playoffs. Now, it got worse when you went to the bench, as we both know. You were projecting as your second unit, Damian Jones, who's probably the worst defensive center in the NBA um, by pretty much every defensive metric. He is either worst or in the bottom three. Jabari Parker, who we know is a very good offensive player and doesn't do a whole lot else. Vince Carter and Cam Reddish splitting rotational minutes. DeAndre Bembry, a shooting guard that can't shoot. And Evan Turner was your projected point guard. With Evan Turner being hurt most of the year, you ended up playing Kevin Herter and DeAndre Bembry as your backup point guards for a good portion of the beginning of the season. Point being, that roster is an abomination. You add some other guys onto that roster too, like Chandler Parsons, who was just there to take up space as part of a salary dump, right? What do you so play, four games? Yeah, that's a roster spot just totally wasted. Um, Jabari Parker, who I feel like he was injured last year too. Uh, he played like 30 games for Atlanta before getting shipped out for Deadman, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. uh, Alan Crabb, how much did Alan Crabb play? Okay, so I forgot Alan Crabb played for this team. Mm-hmm. Because remember, he started the season injured, came in, played, I think, maybe 15 to 20 games, and then he got trade, he got sent off in the Teague trade. So, I mean, like, I was making this list and forgot that Alan Crabb was a part of our basketball team. That roster was horrible. Like, Travis Schlink crapped the bed putting together this roster last year, and a lot of us saw it going into the season. So, without bearing the lead, my point being, when you compare that to what we could be bringing off the bench this year, just look at our. Chris uh, Dunn, Rajon Rondo, Kevin Herter probably is going to come off the bench. One of Reddish and Hunter's coming off the bench. Danilo Gallinari is going to come off your bench. Yeke Okongo is going to come off your bench. Oh, my gosh. Half of those guys would have started last year for the Hawks. <laughs> and some of them did and shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, and just, you know, some of the additions are guys that, you know, are good or pretty good or just okay. You know, you didn't add any prime Hall of Famers or anything like no, that. No, 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 no. So when you just look at the guys that were added, you're like, yeah, they're pretty good. What's the big deal? Um, but it's like we're saying, you added those guys, whereas in previous iterations, you had literally nobody, right? So it's not like, is, Dano, is Danilo Gallinari going to be the savior of the franchise? <laughs> it's like, well, no, no. but – he's probably going to be better than 30 games of Jabari Parker. Yes. I like a very large margin, right? Yes. So, yeah. So having said that, talking about the roster, let's start there. What do you see or set for me your Hawks rotation? Not what you think, but what you would actually do. Because what we, we both know that there are the factors that affect it. Like the fact that you traded a bunch of picks to get DeAndre Herner means there's a good chance he's going to start whether or not he should. But tell me what you would actually do with the Hawks rotation. Uh, going into the season? Yeah, so one thing I would do in general is I would – it would be very flexible and it would change a lot from game to game or week to week Mm -hmm. because of the nature of the season with a a shorter compressed schedule and all of the COVID stuff and just the way the Hawks roster is, right? So for starters, you know, Rondo is sitting on one end of back-to-backs and Gallinari is sitting on one end of back-to-backs. So that means that I now have a little more space to get Collins his minutes, mm-hmm. right? And DeAndre Hunter. And DeAndre Hunter some minutes. And 
also I can give some like backup point guard minutes to lineups that have Bogdanovich, Herter, Dunn, or two or three of those guys out there, mm-hmm. right? So you can get them some some time, you know, preferably not done, really. He would only <laughs> at best be a second ball handler in those scenarios, yeah. right? But you're trying to supplement. So so that's sort of, you know, some big picture goals. But obviously, Trey Young's your starting point card. Bogdanovich is your starting two, mm-hmm. right? He's mm-hmm. your best number two. You paid a lot of money for him. Probably at the small forward spot, I'm probably starting Reddish. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then Collins and Capella. Yeah. And we know that Gallinari is the four off the bench. Mm-hmm. It's already that, been stated. Yeah, we know that a Kongwu is, you know, the de facto backup center based on being a number six pick and the fact that he's just going to be better than Bruno Fernando from day one. Y- yes. Right. Uh, the other spots is where it gets a little trickier in how uh-huh. you do the minutes, right? <laughs> Yeah. So Rondo is your backup point guard, but you know, he's not going to play a ton of games or a ton of minutes. Uh, they have the first half of the season schedules out already. Mm-hmm. There's seven back-to-backs. So if you assume there's 14 back-to-backs over the whole season, Rondo's going to miss 14 games just for back-to-backs automatically, right? Out of 72. So I don't know. Rondo's going to miss 20 games out of 70 ballpark so that does free you up to like I was saying let Bogdanovich have some run as sort of your primary playmaker with the second unit and that also gives some time for him and Gallinari right run the offense through those two through that pair on your second unit and that also gives you a little bit of space to have like Bogdanovich, Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Tony Snell, uh, those sort of inverted positionally there and you know whoever your center is out there is it right so basically not playing rondo a ton means a lot more minutes for your two three fours where you have a lot of depth and a lot of guys so that's kind of the general goal of how i'd be trying to do things is basically not give rondo a lot of minutes so that you can give more spread those extra minutes out to bogdanovich herder dunn reddish hunter tony snell Gallinari, those guys. So you said the one thing that I want to start with, which is that Cam Reddish should start at small forward. Mm-hmm. And the the simple reason for that being, Bogdanovich is not a bad defender. Uh, he's smart and he's pretty physical. But you need a player that can defend the best ball handler of the team. And Reddish was really impressive doing that at the end of last year. He could go guard other teams' point guards, which is something I wasn't sure he could do, and was pretty good. And so – for the simple reason that he's a lot better as a wing defender than Hunter is. Hunter was, you know, okay on the wing, but not quite what people thought he was going to be. I would say if, if you have so, to, go ahead. I would say if you, if you have to guard down, Reddish is going to be the better exactly option. exactly. If you have to guard up, probably it's Hunter, Hunter is the better mm-hmm. option. Yeah, I agree. Hunter with is that. the better shooter for sure, right? You know, as far as consistency, yes. I mean, Reddish yeah. shot like fifty percent for like a three week stretch in February, and like basically the second half of the season shot over forty percent. But he was like, what was it? What was the number? Like sixteen percent at one point last year. I mean, yeah. So it's like he has shown no consistencies in his shooting. So I mean, obviously the truth is he's probably somewhere in between. But you know that DeAndre Hunter is a solid thirty five percent shooter. He didn't really deviate too much from that throughout the season. He's pretty consistent. So like you said, as far as just knowing what you're going to get. I feel like Hunter is probably, like you said, the mo- more consistent shooter. Although, you know, if Reddish shoots anywhere close to what he shot at the end of last season, 
he, he might be the better option. But just the fact that you're what you said is true. Like if you're having to guard up, it's probably, you know, if you're if you're having playing Washington, Rui Hashimura is playing small forward, you probably want to go with DeAndre Hunter. If you're playing a team that's got a Kevin Durant at small forward, well, actually it's not a good example. A wing that's that's uh a wing that is elusive, can dribble penetrate, you want Cam Reddish in the game. So Yeah. Or or like in the original sort of scenario that you were talking about, right? Where you need that person on the wing to cover up, you know, take a defensive assignment that would normally go to Trey or mm-hmm. uh, Bogdanovich, right? So Yeah, when you play the Washington Wizards, I'm going back going back to them, uh Either you're going to start Cam Reddish at small forward or you're going to start Chris Dunn at small forward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what you're going to do. Um, and speaking of which, that, that's the other thing is, I was reading on uh, Peter Hoops, they made an interesting point that when it comes to this rotation, the odd man out could be Kevin Herter. I had not thought about that. But they made an interesting case in the simple, for the simple fact that Chris Dunn is better at defense than Kevin Herter is at offense, essentially. So if Kevin Herter's reason for being on the court is that he's a good secondary playmaker and a good shooter, not great, but good at those two things. And Chris Dunn's on the team because he is an elite defender and he's better at that skill than Kevin Herter is in either of his. You can make the argument that Dunn should play more because you know Hunter and Reddish are going to play. So it was an interesting argument. I was like, I had not thought of the idea that Herter could get squeezed on his minutes if he does not improve defensively. Or he has to be, like, really, really, really good on offense. Now, I don't know if I completely agree with that, but it was an interesting thought. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it could happen to him. Uh, his minutes could get squeezed. Chris Dunn's minutes could get squeezed. Mm-hmm. Reddish, Hunter, Snell, any of those guys' minutes could get squeezed. I mean, I think everybody's sort of expecting that Snell's minutes get kind of squeezed. Yeah. That's an expectation that doesn't mean it's going to happen that way, right? I, yeah. What happens if Cam Reddish shows that uh, the way he was shooting at the end of last season was a fluke and he goes back to just really oh, gosh. shooting? Well, now it's Hunter and Snell taking all those minutes and Cam Reddish is not getting much play. And that's true because you – Because in because, that scenario, he's not as good of a defender as Chris Dunn. Right, exactly, exactly. So he's not going to shoot, then, well, crap. What's the, yeah. Chris Dunn out there. Yeah, that's right? a good point. So, and I, yeah. you make a good point that a lot of this is going to be and should be performance based. If Kurt, Kevin Herter comes out looking like, and like you know Davis Bertans in the beginning of the year, well, shoot, move him up the rotation, limit, uh, cut back on DeAndre Hunter's minutes. But you know, and, and if Chris Dunn comes out and shoots thirty four percent from three, which would be you know a career <laughs> best for him, well, crap, he's got to get more minutes. And I think those are things we have to take into consideration. Also, I will say this though: the one thing that we both have pointed out is the Hawks' depth on the wing is very, very good. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, let's see, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six. I don't know, there's probably 13 guys on the roster that I'm pretty comfortable with them. Exactly. Getting significant minutes and Mm -hmm. playing for real. Basically leaving out Skylar Mays and Bruno Fernando Mm -hmm. and – uh, there's one other guy that's Brandon Goodwin. Two way. Well, so Goodwin honestly is a backup point guard, or like the minutes that he's going to get, I'm kind of okay with his minutes because they're going to be pretty small. Mm. I actually like Brandon Goodwin. He, if he can develop just a little bit of a three point shot, he is probably a NBA player. Uh, right now, he's just a 
hustle, effort, energy guy, but I actually like watching him play. So with that said, just talking about the rotation and the Hawks step, if the Hawks are good this year, what went right? If the Hawks are good this year, what went right is Trey Young stayed healthy, mm-hmm. right? And general health applies to every – That applies to everybody, right. right. Scenario. Mm-hmm. But you always have some caveats, which is like, oh, this injury-prone player, what, well, they have to stay healthy. In this case, Trey Young's not injury-prone. No, he's not. But he runs your whole offense, so he has to stay healthy, right? If he doesn't, all bets are off. Um, but – other things, basically, the team is able to gel. There's a lot of new players, a lot of new pieces, a very short yep. turnaround time. Yep. So the team has to gel. You have to see some improvement from at least some of the young guys, mm-hmm. whether that's Trey or Herder or Reddish or Hunter or Collins. You need to see some improvements from at least like two or three of those guys. Now, thankfully, you're not in a position where you need improvement from all five of those mm-hmm. guys. For not anymore. Things go right. Right. Not anymore. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I think sort of low key is, I don't know, we have to see if Lloyd Pierce is actually good at being mm-hmm. a head coach, like when it comes mm-hmm. to game day. And so far, we don't really have much to tell us if he's good or bad at that. Yeah, right. I agree with that. So previously, you had a lot of times where it was like, okay, trying to let Kevin Herter be a secondary ball handler or playmaker. Well, that wasn't a perfect optimization of how to use him, but also he was a young player. You're trying to let him grow. So you're not trying to perfectly optimize wins on the court at that moment. Right. And also you're trying to not play Evan Turner. (laughs) Yeah, that too. And so now you have a real team full of real players, right? You have a lot of different ways that you can do this. You have a lot more, you know, lineup flexibility, some more matchup flexibility, we're going to see how good he is at, at that actual kind of coaching. For me, if the Hawks are good this year, I think it's because they are carried by a top five-ish offense. And, you know, I started to say top 10, but, you know, when a league of, you know, 30-ish teams, top 10 is not really that good. Um, yeah. I, if the Hawks aren't a top 10 offense, then we're in like the everything went wrong category. Yeah, I would agree with that. Right. So I, I, I think most projections for the Hawks offense is around five-ish. Okay. You know what I mean? So. I mean, you're going to have teams that are always going to be great on offense. Like the Rockets, because of James Harden, are always going to be good on offense. The Mavs are going to be good on offense. The Lakers are going to be good on offense because they have. Ain't nobody run a pick and roll in the club like James Harden. <laughs> That's a whole other thing we get sidetracked on, but I don't know what they're going to do with him. I wouldn't trade him. If, and the people that are making those crazy trade to the Hawks – what kind of trade of the Hawks would not involve Trey Young? If you're Houston Rockets, why would you trade a top five offensive, the best offensive player in the NBA, and not get back another top five offensive player that's 10 years younger? That's stupid. Like, if you're the Rockets and you trade with the Hawks and you don't get Trey Young, you're stupid. Well, the um, Hawks would never give Trey exactly, Young. Exactly. Nor should they. So. Nor should they. Because guess what? The best version of Trey Young could be James Harden in three years. Like, that's conceivable. So, anyways, so. I would say that to me, if the Hawks are good, it's because they have a high level humming offense. Um, the Hawks were not a good offensive team last year, and they were a horrible offensive team when Trey Young was off the floor. And a lot of that had to do with shooting as personnel. I mean, worst three point shooting team in the NBA. I think they were shot around 33% and shot like the sixth most threes in the NBA. So we were clanking at a high, high level. 
So um, that to me is what, if the Hawks are good, it, it's A, because obviously we say optimal health, but B, because the offense is actually good. And for me, like, you need to have some improvement from young players. And for me, I don't necessarily even need to see John Collins improve a lot. I just need him to do it over an entire season. Because if John Collins plays the entire season last year at like he did, he plays in the All-Star game without question. He's an All-Star without question. I mean, so, I mean, I, I think he would have been an All-Star over uh, DeMontis Sabonis. So, and I just, I just feel like if, if that's, if the Hawks are good and we'll talk about what we define as good, what our win totals are and whatnot, that's what went right. Now, if the Hawks are bad, a couple of things. We already said injuries. So specifically injuries to Trey Young or John Collins are the two irreplaceable players. So barring injuries to those two, if the Hawks are bad, what went wrong? Well, and I'd even say that it's really just Trey Young. If okay. John Collins is out, you play, you play, de- you play Gallo. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't change the, the win total for the team a ton over the course of the season. Hmm. Um, if things went poorly, the defense was not able mm-hmm. to find a way to even be functional, right? We didn't really mention on like the what happens if things go right aspect. Um, if it's a functional defense, you know, then that helps things go right. If it's a bottom two or bottom three defense, then yeah, then you're in trouble, right? Because then let's even if you have the fifth best offense, if you have the second worst defense, <laughs> you're probably below 500 right yeah you're the Washington Wizards last year yeah I mean, and, and and that's a good point and the thing for the Hawks is be 25th in defense you don't have to be 18th mm-hmm. be be 22nd in defense and then be five, fifth in offense like that's you can do that the Cavs one of the years I think in 2016 when they won their title they were in the top five in offense and like 26th in defense or 24th in defense now of course well, yeah it's a pretty weird outlier scenario right there. Right. And I'm not saying the Hawks are going to be the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm just saying it, it is conceivable that you can be a championship contender and be bad on offense. Now, of course, I'm bad on defense. Excuse me. Now, of course, we don't have LeBron James, who doesn't care to play defense during the regular season and will play defense in the playoffs when it matters. That's that's part of that also with some of these good teams. But just making the point that you can be a below average defense team if you are elite in another area. And, you know, I don't know that the Hawks – will be able to survive, like you said, being the 28th best defensive team. But like I said, be 22nd, be 25th. That might be okay. And one of the things I wrote down was just the Hawks have had a problem the last two years turning the ball over. They've been one of the worst teams in the NBA's with turnovers. Some of that's Trey's aggressive style of play. Some of that's trying to play with a high tempo and high pace. But like some of that's also from not having a second ball handler after Trey Young that can get you into your offense competently. Like that, like that's bad. <laughs> and, and if that doesn't improve, and Rondo should improve with that. Um, Rondo should automatically make that better. Uh, that that's something that's going to hurt because if you're turning the ball over, you're not as efficient as on offense. And in the Hawks are a team that have to be efficient on offense. So, yeah. And I think the other thing to add would be uh, the coaching aspect, but in the inverse, right? If Lloyd Pierce just really is not cut out to be an NBA head coach and he just completely flops at managing the, the, you know, the roster and the rotations and how you play guys together and stuff like that, then that's. Yeah. And you hit on, 
sorry, I'm putting my finger. <laughs> you hit on the thing that I was thinking, this very last thing. If Lloyd Pierce can't figure out the best lineups and the best rotations, we talk about who's starting games. We all know it's equally important who's finishing games. So with all the options you have at wing, your finishing lineups are super important. Are you, there's probably going to be a lot of times when we finish the game with John Collins at the five, Gallo at the four, Trey Young, and I don't know who else is on the floor with them, whoever's hot that night. Like, that's important to know who's going to be doing those things. Are we going to be going offensive-defensive subs where it's Chris Dunn for Trey or it's uh, John Collins for a Clint Capella late in games? Like, that's all stuff that has to be figured out. And if he can't manage that, if Coach Pierce cannot manage that well, A, he's not going to have a job next year. And B, the Hawks will not maximize this good roster. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where we haven't seen Pierce have to do hardly any of that. And there hasn't been a team that's been a competitive team at all. And now we're going from that into a scenario where they took a big step forward in talent, are all of a sudden an actual competitive team, and have a roster that's sort of uniquely suited to really moving things around a lot. Right. This isn't a LeBron, uh, LeBron AD team where it's like, okay, we got LeBron and AD. Everything runs through them. We'll just kind of rotate around a few pieces here and there when we get into the playoffs. You know, that's not how this team's constructed. Yep. I, I agree with that. And having said that, let's get to the, the thing everyone wants to know. What is your projection for the Hawks? And we'll do win totals. Now, keep in mind, folks, this is not out of an 82 game season. This is out of 72 games. So, when we say it, if we say a number in the 30s, understand that could still mean that they're a team that's over 500. So, Scott, I think you and I have talked about this offline a good bit, and we have pretty similar projections for them. Um, just to give you some frame of reference, two years ago, we, I projected the, I think we both projected the Hawks for 29 wins and hit that number exactly on the head. Last year, projected the Hawks for 30, between 32 and 34 wins. The Vegas total was 34, and obviously the Hawks fell way below that, going 20 and 47. And even if you do their win percentage, it was below that. And a lot of it had to do with John Collins missing 25 games and them going 4 and 21 in his absence. So, yeah, with a 70 – Yeah, like ahead. you said, I think falling short of last year's win total was uh, a lot more about losing Collins for mm -hmm. half the season and the season being shortened. Mm -hmm. um, but – because you're right, it essentially ended up being around a third of the season. You played 67 games, more than a third, 67 games, you lost them for 25. I mean, and what happened is, yes, Jabari Parker is a solid backup power forward, and he's even a decent long-term starter, but you had nothing behind Jabari Parker at the four. I mean, and that's where, the, that's where you fall off a cliff. It wasn't, from, it wasn't a drop from Collins to Parker. It was a drop from Parker to, oh, I don't know, Bruno Fernando and De DeAndre yeah. Hunter. Right. So um, going into your projection, what do you project for the Hawks win total? You can give a range or an exact number, whatever you feel comfortable with. Yeah. So 72 game season, right. That means 36 and 36 is 500. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just, you know, sort of uh, set the general, you know, feeling out there, right. Is a lot of the odds makers have the Hawks somewhere around 36 now. Mm -hmm. Some of the early numbers had them closer to 34. Yeah, that seemed uh, a little low. Yeah, I, I thought that seemed kind of low too. Uh, so did everybody else with any money because now it's up to, I think, at least 36. Um, I think ESPN's 
RPM projections have the Hawks at 36. And I think Hollinger goes alphabetical. So he already did his Hawks preview. He's a, a former GM, right? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty the Grizzlies. Cool. Yeah. yeah. He's a good one. He's good. By the way, if you don't know who John Hollinger is, he's got great stuff, y'all. If you like our stuff, you'd love the stuff that he writes. Um, so anyway, he has the Hawks at 39, right? So I just say that to say 34 to 39 are kind of the full range of numbers that has been out there. Um, the 34 numbers disappeared, right? Because those were probably too right. Uh, I'm probably at about a 38. That's kind of what I think. So I actually did a few, like, uh, sort of like box plus minus. Mm-hmm. I remember you sharing that with me. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of looking at minutes and games played and how you expect from that standpoint. Just, I was just curious to see what it would turn out. And it was also 38 wins. That feels right. Just a little bit over 500. And that 38 wins translates to, I think it was 43 wins over the course of an 82 game schedule. It was somewhere around there. I think it was 42 or 43, because I believe you and I looked at this over the course of an 82-game schedule. You correct me on that in just a second if I'm wrong because you are the status assassin. Um, I had the Hawks at 37 wins, so I'm right there with you. I think they're just above a 500 team. And looking at the grand scheme of the East, you have seven teams that are probably playoff locks, and so almost everybody has the Hawks projected at the number eight seed with a big gap between the seven and eight. So a lot of people having Indiana down there as like the seven. And then another big gap between the Hawks at eight and then the teams that are going to be nine and 10 and being the plan tournament this year. So you do have those, that sort of main six that are pretty much, I don't know, considered locks or close to locks yeah. to make the playoffs. Right. And then you get into sort of a little bit of a gap and the perception and then Indiana and then a bit of a gap and Atlanta and then a bit of a gap. And then about four teams kind of in that next group all huddled together. Yeah. I go back and forth whether I think the Hawks are going to be, you know, a notch below and a few games back of the Pacers or whether I think that that will be flipped or whether I think that'll be about even. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just ready for things to start. So today I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe the Hawks should be the seven and the Pacers should be the eight. It's hard to say. So much of it is going to depend on the health of Victor Oladipo and like what kind of player he is, right? So he's coming off some injuries, right? If he's just okay, but they're trying to get him back in shape and run the offense through him all season, then I don't know. They're the eight seed. If he's injured, they might not be in the playoffs. I don't know. But but at the same time, they also have like a a team that's been playing together and been consistently making the playoffs. So it's kind of hard to Mm-hmm. And drop them out but they got a new coach and everything too so there's some turnover there mm-hmm. and they're, it's probably pretty correct to sort of pencil them in at seven but that's more of a loose pencil and I think the one through six is a lot more firm yeah like it I don't see any world where the Hawks end up fifth but I could see seventh and I can't see them ending up at 11th like, I really can't. I just don't see – unless there's, like, a catastrophic yeah. injury. So, seven's not that hard. I, I think – Seven's really easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, six is probably stretching it, but it's not impossible because as much as we said those six teams are pretty firmly entrenched, any of yeah. those six teams is 
a bad injury or two away from like fighting for the playoffs, right? So, but the Celtics, Nets, 76ers, Raptors, Bucks, and Heat, I mean, they're, they're locks. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Barnes and the yeah. Catastrophe, they're locks. Yeah. So, as we wrap up here, I think the thing that both you and agree on, we're going we're gonna to go into the season expecting the Hawks to play playoff basketball. And it's been four or five years since we could say that, like, pretty confidently. Like, we expect the Hawks to be playing playoff basketball this year. And we're hoping this signals the official um, ascent out of the depths of the rebuild. So, and, and starting the ascent towards being a championship contender. And it took the Braves, you know, was it four years to rebuild, reset? And this year, and this be about the same for the Hawks. So hopefully we're out of the hard reset era and we're on our way up. I hope. I hope we're moving up like Jefferson's. Man. I mean, it's definitely going to be moving up, right? It's just going to be a better team than than the previous yeah. couple of years. Um, the question, you know, just remains how much up and also how much more can you go up, right? Because people care yes. about titles and titles only. Nobody cares about, like, being really good. Yeah. So. Yeah, and she has some big roadblocks at the top of the East with Kevin Durant and Giannis and even in ascending Jason Tatum, who could be the next big star. So, yeah. All right, so so that's it for today. Uh, we are going to be rooting on our Hawks as they play Orlando, which I swear we play Orlando nine times a year. It feels that way, and we don't really ever play them well. But we'll be watching preseason basketball, at least I will, because my football season is now over. And as I was telling Scott, I'm almost back to being a normal human being. So this is Dave Bethay and Scott Aiken for the Title Run Podcast. Scott, tell the people goodbye. <sighs> Adios. Watch the Hawks one nationally televised game this year. <laughs> That's it for today, folks. Thanks for listening.